behind the scenes stuff, Matt, Matt, he's kind of, he's nowhere, but he's everywhere. And uh, big, big help to me, Pastor Matt, for sure. Well, it's great to be here this morning. What a gorgeous spring day here in Superior, Wisconsin. Uh, we will take it, right? I'm also very thankful for uh, our live stream presence. If you're watching via live stream, uh, thanks for hanging out with us this morning. If you're local, uh, ultimately our desire is that you would uh, be here with us uh, on a regular basis. But sometimes we're unable to attend, or we actually have people, uh, somebody watched from, I think it was last week, from Costa Rica. So you never know what's going to happen uh, with the live stream presence, but we're grateful that you're watching and pray that you're blessed by all that transpires here this morning. Uh, today, uh, as Matt said, we continue our series. It's the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus uh, came to earth to dwell among us. Twelve men followed him wherever he went and became known as his disciples. After three years of individual teaching and hands-on ministry, he began talking about a day when he would no longer be around and they would have to carry on the work. In John 13, chapter 13 through 17, we find Jesus and the 12 disciples in the upper room. And they're just hours away from the crucifixion, although the disciples are oblivious to it. Jesus, on the other hand, is, is well aware of where he is on the timeline of his earthly existence. And so he, he endeavors to impart some final thoughts, some important lessons, the essential doctrines and principles, if you will, of those he would leave behind, to those he would leave behind. It's the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. These most important of teachings fell directly into the hands of the twelve and indirectly into ours. It started, you remember, in part one with the washing of the disciples' feet. If I wash your feet, Jesus said, then, then you should wash one another's feet. Part two of our series was our marching orders. We're to love each other, the Bible says, as Jesus loves us. It's so important that Jesus, Jesus said it would be our distinguishing characteristic. This is how people would know that we are disciples. Wow. It's that important. Last week in part three, we talked about this distinct choice before each one of us. We can, we can lay down our life for Jesus or we can deny him. There's a wide road and a narrow road. His message to us was to follow him that where he is, we may be also. This brings us to part four in our series. It's found in John 14. You can turn there if you'd like. And the interesting concept of us being able to not only do what Jesus did in this life, but greater things. How can this be? Well, as is our custom, let's go to the Scriptures. Again, in, 
in, keep in mind the gravity of the words that Jesus is speaking. He's, he's trying hard to impart in, in these, his final hours, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. So John 14, I'll begin in verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 26. And the first verse is, is, uh, is the biggie. Uh, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Why? Because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, and the fa- that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Verse 19, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you see me, because I live, you shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas Judas said unto him, not Iscariot. I feel sorry for this guy already, right? I mean, you've got the same name as Judas. So, so now, now you're known as Judas, not Iscariot. <laughs> Judas said unto him, not Iscariot. Lord, how is it that you will manifest thyself unto us and not into the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loves me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but but the Father's that sent me. These things I have spoken, spoken unto you. Now listen to verse 25. These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. He knows it's his final hours. He's trying to impart to him these final truths. While I'm yet present with you, I'm imparting these to you. But the Comforter, verse 26, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You want to know what some of the things that the Holy Ghost does? It's in that verse, right? He will teach you all things. So let me start at the beginning of verse 26. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, just in case there's any confusion, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring all things to your remembrance that I have said. But it's verse 12 that really jumps out at us, speaking of those who believe, Jesus says, 
The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Well, let's unpack this this morning, and let's start with who is making this bizarre statement to begin with. It's Jesus, and Jesus is the God-man. It's important to remember, it's important to remember that everything Jesus did during his time on earth, he did within the limits of humanity. Make no mistake, Jesus was God. He was always God. And at no time, at no point, did he stop being God. But when Jesus was born of Mary and clothed himself in human flesh, he chose to operate as a man. We read about this in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So he's equal with God. He was God. Jesus equals God. But, now you get to verse 7, but which means you throw out everything you just said. (laughs) But he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He made himself, the Bible says, of no reputation. Now the terminology, that that wording, no reputation, in the Greek is the word kino, kino, which means to make empty, to make of none effect, to neutralize. It's where we get the term, if you went to Bible college, you'd have heard the term kenosis. And the term kenosis refers to the doctrine of Christ's self-emptying. Uh, as he was incarnated. Now Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being, and being born in the likeness of men. Now there are dangers of false doctrine here. Philippians does not specify what Jesus emptied himself of and, and here we must be careful to not go beyond what the scripture says. Let me say this emphatically. Jesus did not empty himself of his divine attributes. Jesus did not empty himself of his divine attributes. Colossians 2.9 clearly states, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You can't say it any clearer than that. In coming to earth as a man, he was laying aside all the privileges of heaven. He veiled his glory in human flesh and he chose to occupy, he chose to occupy the position of a man. The kenosis, the 
the, uh, the, the emptying was a self-renunciation, not an emptying himself of deity. And it was not an exchange of deity for humanity. Jesus never ceased to be God during any part of his earthly ministry. He did, however, voluntarily refrain from exercising his divinity. During his earthly ministry, Christ functioned within the limits of humanity and completely submitted himself to the will of the Father to demonstrate to us that it is possible. That he was operating as a man is obvious. God does not get tired or thirsty like Jesus did. God does not sleep nor does he slumber. Jesus did. God is not limited by time and space. Jesus was. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And if this is not so, then he is not our example. If he's operating as God, then how can he be our model or our standard or how can he be our sacrifice for sin? Jesus is God, but he came to earth to live as a man. I know I feel like I'm beating a dead horse there, but the intricacies of that are, are crucial. It all ties in with the whole of Bible doctrine. The word begotten, for example. We all know John 3.16, although the word begotten is used in other important passages as well, but John 3.16, probably the most famous, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Begotten is an important word. The newer versions tragically omit it. And we lose some of the doctrine of the deity of Jesus. As a result, they, they, they omit it. As a result, we, we lose some of the, trage, of the, of the doctrine of the deity of Jesus. They omit it because it's, it's hard to understand. Heaven forbid we should think a little. <laughs> or maybe it's omitted because it sounds old-fashioned. Well, maybe, maybe so. But sometimes old-fashioned is better. It's, it's, it's a better, more descriptive word. Begotten means more than only, which is how many of the newer versions translate the verse. Oh, God gave his one and only son. Well, I have news for you. That doesn't cut it. He gave his only begotten son. Begotten is significant because you beget what you are. You when you create something or you make something, it's different than you are. You, you, when you make something, it's different than you. If I make a garage or a pizza, it's not what I am. But a human mother and a human father beget what they are, a human child. When God creates, he makes something different. Now, do you see the difference here? When God creates, 
He makes something different than himself. But when he begets, it's what he is. Jesus was begotten of the Holy Spirit, God, and a human woman, a virgin named Mary. Remember in Luke, the angel tells Mary that she will give birth to the Messiah. And this is what Mary says in Luke 1, 34 and 35. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of, of you, Mary, a human woman, shall be called the Son of God. God is the Father. Mary is the Mother. They beget what they are. Therefore, Jesus is the God-man. Now, this qualifies Jesus to be the perfect inter intercessor. Jesus came to earth. He operated as a man, but in the interest of full disclosure, he did have some things working for him. Number one, he had no original sin. Original sin comes from the human father. There are at least four passages in Scripture stating that the sin nature is passed down to subsequent generations through our earthly father. The sins of the father are passed on to the third and to the fourth generation. Jesus did not have a human father. Therefore, he had no original sin. Enabling him to be fully human, yet without original sin. This is all critical to the plan of God. Jesus was not born in sin. We are. Number two, Jesus never chose to sin in his humanity. He was not born in sin and he did not commit sin. For we have not a high priest, Hebrews 4.15 says, that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Jesus led a sinless and perfect life. And number three, as a result of those two things, his channel of communication with God was wide open. He had a perfect connection with his heavenly Father. The signal between God the Father and Jesus was unhindered by sin. There was no static, no interference, no dead spots. Jesus heard the voice of his Father with clarity and with distinction. Sin has clogged the arteries of our relationship with God. Jesus never experienced that. So, where is Jesus now? The Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father, and as the God-man, he is the perfect intercessor between a holy God and sinful man. And this enables us to do greater things. We have an advocate sitting at the right hand of God, pleading our case 
before the throne. And Jesus understands our plight perfectly. He has lived where we lived. He has been confined to human flesh and he's been tempted by the things of the world. He's walked this earth and he's dealt with the same people we deal with. He experienced frustration and betrayal and pain just like you and just like me. And when we when we pray and when we plead our situation to Jesus, he can say, been there, done that, I'm on it. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. You ever wonder why we pray in the name of Jesus? We're going through our advocate. We pray to God in the name of Jesus. Now let's go back to our text. And, and remember, we began in verse 12, and it says we'll do greater things. Now listen to verse 13 and 14. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Greater things. The Old Testament provided the people with a human high priest to intercede for them. He would perform the sacrifices and atone first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. The New Testament brought Jesus to fulfill that role. And in Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 19, it says, For the law made nothing perfect. I would just like to stop there. The law made nothing perfect. So if you're endeavoring to reach God on your own by keeping the law, the law made nothing perfect. Perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did, talking about Jesus, by the which we draw near to God. How do we draw near to God? By Jesus. And insomuch as without an oath, Jesus was made priest. By so much was Jesus made a surety, verse 22 says, of a better testament. And, and they truly were many priests, now it's talking about the old priesthood, because they were not allowed to continue by reason of death. In other words, the priests would die off. But this man, and now I find it interesting that it uses the word man, but this man, because he continued forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he's able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. That come unto God. How? By him. Seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. That's why he's, that's why he's there. That's what he does. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Let's just pause and let that sink in for a minute. And because of that, we can do greater things. Do you understand why Jesus is, is so important? I mean, Jesus is what, what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. I don't need to be good. It's too late for that. I need Jesus. 
Jesus is our high priest. He sits at the right hand of God and advocates for us. We cannot hope. We cannot hope to stand before the holiness of God. We would be consumed in the awesomeness of His glory. We would not dream of bursting into a courtroom and making demands of a judge. But if we get an attorney, we can approach the bench and plead our case. Similarly, in the name of Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne. Jesus is our advocate. The good news is he understands. He knows our plight. He feels our pain. He can identify with us. And he can relate to us. And all of this sets us up for greater works. Back to verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, Jesus said, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these. Because I go to my Father. Now we have to be sure that we think about this correctly. It's not like he lifted 500 pounds and now we'll lift 510 pounds. It's, it's different than that. Jesus did amazing things on earth. And he did those things within the limitations of humanity. It is therefore possible for us to do those things. And remember, Jesus was limited by time and space. He could only be in one place at one time. But as part of his plan... He began to impart wisdom and power to the disciples. They, they listened to him. They watched him. They followed him. And they, and they gleaned from his amazing teaching. They, listened, they learned the word of God from the word of God. And then the day of Pentecost. And he provided them with the Holy Spirit to come upon all those who believed. There would be an endowment of power and a boldness to witness. A fire would burn in the belly of those who would call upon His name. And they would be able to spread the gospel to every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. And for the most part, that has happened. The globe has been enveloped with the gospel message. In that sense, we have done greater things. When Jesus left the planet, when Jesus left planet earth and ascended into heaven, there, there was barely more than a handful of believers. Now there are thousands and thousands of churches and the gospel is preached on virtually every corner and in the highways and the byways and over the airwaves virtually 24 hours a day. Think of it this way. A good pastor teaches the church to do more for themselves, right? He equips them and he empowers them. Then they can do more than the one pastor. They can do greater things than the one man who's limited by time and space and can only be in one place at, at one time. In the same way, the church is rooted and sourced in Jesus. 
But we endeavor to empower others through the Word of God and through the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be the church in their neighborhood, to be the church at their school, to be the church in their workplace, and to be the church in their home. And some of those who believe, some of those who believe experience a deeper call. Some become full-time ministers and dedicate their life to the work of the Lord. Others answer the call to missions and travel to distant lands and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Lord. These are all things that Jesus never did. He had three years of public ministry. He did amazing things as a man in the power of his relationship with his Father. He did exactly what we can do, only we can do it exponentially because we have the church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about Central Assembly. I mean church big C. We have every Christian who lives in Superior. We have every Christian who lives in Douglas County. We have every Christian who lives in Wisconsin and the United States and North America and the Western Hemisphere and in fact the entire world. We are the church and because of that we can do greater things. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, we have three things today that point out how verse 12 is true. We can do greater things. Number one, Jesus ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. Anything we ask in his name, he says, he'll do it. We have an advocate. Number two, Jesus departed and God sent the fullness of the Holy Spirit who will empower us and teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever Jesus said according to verse 26. And then number three, we have the exponentiality of the church. Jesus was limited by time and space. He could only be in one place at one time. The church is everywhere. One way or another. Listen, we can do greater things. That's what Jesus wanted us to know before he left earth to return to his home in heaven. It was the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Lord, we bow our heads this morning and we say thank you. We say thank you for the life that you lived here on planet Earth. We say thank you for the example that you are to us. We say thank you for all that you gave us that would enable this scripture to be true. Lord, I think of the fact that you're our advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father. The more I contemplate that, the more I realize we've failed to tap into that. We haven't gotten the most out of that. The Bible says that you, you ever live 
to make intercession for us. That's why you're there. Lord, there's folks that are here today and they need a touch from you. And so we come to you in the name of Jesus, Heavenly Father. We come to you in the name of Jesus. He's our advocate. Mm -hmm. We don't come in our own strength. We don't come in our own goodness. We don't come in our own wisdom. We come in the name of your only begotten Son, Jesus. Hear the cry of our heart. Hear our prayer, O oh God. In the name of your Son, Jesus. And then, Lord, we thank you for the fullness of the Holy Ghost. When you, when, when you, Jesus, ascended into heaven, you sent a comforter, the Holy Ghost, who would teach us all things and bring into our mind the remembrance of all things that Jesus had said. Again, Lord, I wonder if we've tapped into that resource in all of its fullness. Oh, Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives. Lord, fill us this morning anew and afresh that we might have a boldness to witness. Lord, that we might have a power that exudes from our being as we live and move and have our being in you. And then, Lord, Lord, we thank you for the church. I'm thankful for all the other local churches this morning that are preaching the gospel. I think of Bayside Baptist and First Evangelical Covenant and North Bay Community Church and, and, and Hope Church in Billings Park and Hope Community Church over by Super One. And scores of other churches, Darrow Road, Wesleyan Church, all over the the city and all over the twin ports and all through the state all around our great nation and in fact all around the world the exponentiality of the church Lord it's amazing what's been accomplished and Lord we thank you I pray that we would remember that we can do greater things I pray that we wouldn't settle for less than that pray that you continue to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.